0: I don't be a starving artist I don't wanna be a starving artist. I just want to find a way to live Hi I'm Anna Easley you're listening to Starving Artist the podcast looking at art money how the hell to make those things work together This week I've got a special kind of an episode for you. For the past two years, I've actually been making another podcast called Being Honest With My Ex, which is basically a personal journal that I've been doing every week and keeping with my ex-fiancé, Peter C. Hayward, who you may already know from episode three of this podcast, where he talks about how he's made $250,000 on Kickstarter in the last year. We've now been making Being Honest With My Ex for two years and it's ended up documenting each of our journeys of trying to make the art money equation work for ourselves. If Starving Artist is the documentary series on making a living creatively then Being Honest With My Ex is basically the live stream version. It's the very up close, very intimate, the ugly crying account of trying to make it work. So today I'm going to share with you an episode from that podcast. The episode I'm going to share with you is from the start of 2017 and is the moment when I finally quit my only kind of normal job. This is at the start of the year, a couple of months before I launched Starving Artist. And I say finally because by that stage, Peter, my ex, had been trying to convince me to quit my job for like eight months or so. As you can hear in this clip from mid-2016,
1: at worst, in six months' time, you have to get a job. Like, that is the genuine worst-case scenario. Firstly, you've got enough money to support yourself for at least a few months, probably upwards of six months, considering that you live very cheap.
0: I'm so cheap.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're so happy about that. I
0: actually re-listened to that episode to put together this episode for you, and, oh man, we had some just terrible ideas. But I know that people have found magic in traveling along with us and our failings in seeing us find success and also figuring out that success sometimes isn't all it's cracked up to be.
1: Is it raining inside where you are?
0: It's raining on my face, but only my (laughs) face. Um, yeah, I just feel like I have all this opportunity and I'm just like crumbling. Warning: There is a lot of me crying on that podcast, and it's interesting listening just because we are doing it as two incredibly different people. In fact, I I can't believe we ever considered getting married. As an example, this is a pretty representative piece of tape from the podcast: me being anxious about something, and Peter, like Peter being Peter. My big fears isn't about offending people it's about actually just like not living up to what i thought i should be and what i i imagine other people's expectations are does that make sense
1: yeah um you're speaking to someone who thought he would be a multimillionaire by the age of 24 so <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are ridiculous again i can't believe we considered getting married Also, Peter and I are actually doing some live shows in Melbourne, Australia, in early September. What many people don't know is that the whole time we've been making this podcast, we've also been living on other sides of the world. Peter lives in Canada, I'm in Australia, but we ran a Kickstarter campaign earlier this year, and with the help of our listeners, Peter is getting on an aeroplane, and after two years, 130,000 downloads, and a lot of recorded tape of me crying... We will finally be reunited for these live shows in Melbourne, Australia, and you should come join us and then have a beer with us afterwards to talk shop. Check the show notes for details about tickets and the weirdo shenanigans that we will inevitably get up to. Okay, this has been a long intro, but three quick things before we get started. First, Peter knows me as SJ, so he refers to me as that throughout this podcast. Just a heads up, he's talking about me. Also in this episode, I mentioned being suicidal. We don't really talk about it too much, but how we do talk about it might come across as kind of cavalier. That might sound a little bit odd to some people, but the reason we sometimes talk about it in this way is that suicidal thoughts have been a significant character in my life for a long time. And having been engaged to Peter, lived with him, known him for a long time, it's something we've talked about pretty regularly particularly on this podcast, which is why it's not always the serious, are you okay discussion? So I just want to give that context because without it, it can seem a little bit weird. And before we get started, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you missed some very exciting news, which is Starving Artist got sponsored. So yes, this week's episode was sponsored by Etsy. Etsy is an online marketplace where you can set up your own store and you can sell your own artwork. Till the end of the season, I'm going to be trying my hand at setting up my own store and telling you about it on here. You can listen in to the end of this episode to hear how I paid for 6% of my New Zealand holiday, which I just got back from, through my first week on Etsy. So finally, let's get into this week's episode about quitting my job, imposter syndrome and how you definitely don't have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood.
1: My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley.
0: We were engaged for two years, and And then then we we broke up, up (laughs) and then we stopped talking to each other for a year, and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me?
1: If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick.
0: (laughs) You don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? (laughs) If I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my
1: (laughs) God. I think if I met you now, I'd I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. So why don't you tell everyone about what your job is at the moment?
0: I don't have a job.
1: Why don't you have a job, SJ?
0: Because I quit my job. Do you want me to talk more on that? Okay. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I can keep on asking you, like, essay questions. How does that make you feel?
0: You quit your job. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> How does SJ explore the theme of independence and self-belief in the process of quitting her job?
1: <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty big moment. I feel like you should uh, take a second to reflect. Mm. Good. That was good. That was a good okay. second. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I'm not sure what to say about it. It's really, it's like a conflicted thing. Okay, so I quit my job for a few reasons. But one of the big sort of temporary situations that was going on that really encouraged me to do it was that I was so exhausted. So I went home for Christmas and I was just so tired
1: and this is like immediately after you've recovered from your previous burnout so this is not like an isolated like oh what a big year exhausted this is like burned out recovered heading straight back into burnout
0: yeah I suppose yeah because like a few months prior I had asked to work less at my job because I was just completely burnt out and so this was me working less at my job and then I got to the end of the year and I was like, fucking hell. Jesus fucking Christ. I was like, I cannot, I can't do this. I cannot face doing this for another six months even. And I'm a relatively, like, I'm quite a conservative person in terms of making decisions like that.
1: And politics.
0: Actually, no. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I find it really difficult to make decisions like that. Like you, Peter, are, you're really good good at being like, nah, fuck it, whatever. Whereas I'm like, oh, how do I explain myself? What if it doesn't work? Fuck. And I did lots of spreadsheeting and I was like, I can do this. This looks like a thing that I can definitely do. And if everything goes correctly, is sustainable.
1: But even if everything doesn't go correctly... I'll
0: still be okay. Worst
1: case scenario is in six months' time, you have to get a different job.
0: Yeah. So, the worst case scenario is also okay.
1: Right. So, yeah, you realize you you're exhausted.
0: Not just that. I also then made a plan for the first half of 2017 and I was like, wow, this is not feasible.
1: Which is also kind of, I think, a big step for you. <laughs>
0: As in recognising that it's not feasible? Yeah. <laughs> I was like looking at it and I was like, ah, I can't even face the prospect of of doing this. It's just terrifying to me. But what's been interesting is that, and I wrote about this on Patreon, it's been kind of nice to have that place to talk about the process with people people who are supporting me
1: without having to be public about it necessarily
0: yeah yeah
1: talking about it with investors in a sense
0: (laughs) well yeah yeah and so it's nice to be able to do that and I wrote this thing about how most of the time I don't really believe in myself if that makes sense and I don't really believe in the work that I'm doing completely or much Really, it moves around day to day. But I pretend to because I know that I need to to be able to get anything done. If I didn't at least pretend to believe in the work that I do and myself or whatever, I would be completely paralyzed and I would achieve very little, I imagine. But it means that when making a decision like quitting your only normal job, because I have a few other less normal jobs, to commit to your work, it's really difficult to do that if you don't believe in it. Like
1: genuinely believe in it.
0: <laughs> so I wrote in the Patreon about how actually it felt like I wasn't really committing. I wasn't really believing in myself. I was believing in their belief in me, if that makes sense. Yeah. The fact that you guys are still here and this is still a thing, I want to really genuinely respect that and i want to commit to that and i want to believe in that
1: belief by proxy because
0: that to me is more more tangible uh than how i feel about my own stuff yeah so yeah that's how that's kind of how the process happened
1: i want to talk about something that i know you're super 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 uncomfortable talking about Uh uh-oh uh which is the fact that you have some money like you have savings
0: yeah i save some money because i'm fiscally conservative Fiscally conservative in the streets and socially liberal in the sheets. Woo!
1: (laughs) Do you want to tell people how much you have saved?
0: No, that feels weird.
1: I know. I know it feels weird. I'm just curious as to whether you want to explore that area that you don't normally talk about.
0: No. (laughs) No, I mean, like... That's, part, that's also part of the reason why I quit my job or felt like I was okay to do it. Because I was like, literally, if I didn't make any money in the next six months, I would be okay. Yeah. I would not be happy about it because I worked really hard to save the money. <laughs> I'd be really stressed and I'd be like, holy fuck, this isn't working. I can't do this, blah, blah, blah.
1: But everything
0: would be okay.
1: And so, for me, I've been very frustrated. Not like, I don't want to tell you what to do with your money, but I've been frustrated because you've had this money sitting in the bank and been insanely stressed and unhappy.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, I find those sorts of decisions really difficult because I am uh, so... I thought so- you were going to say sexy. <laughs> because I am so conservative with money because I'm genuinely really afraid. I mean, a bunch of it's informed by... Having to pay for really expensive...
1: Mental health stuff.
0: Mental health stuff. Like every... Well, so far it's been like every two years. Actually, you know what? It hasn't been... I haven't had a crisis in the last two years. Nice. Sort of. That's Woo-hoo. kind of not true, actually. No. October 2014, I was in hospital. So I just mean it's been over two years. And I think like that's happened since then. But it used to be like every few years I would go through a massive crisis. And one of the key themes of that crisis was how am I going to survive? And I realized the other day that I could interchange the phrase chronically suicidal with the phrase seriously considering studying medicine. (laughs) those two things.
1: For you personally, not for everyone in the world.
0: No, for me personally, those two things are completely linked. They have a
1: one-to-one correlation. Like when
0: I have really big existential crisis and then it comes back to like, what the fuck am I doing with my life and all that kind of stuff? I always come back to like, I'm fucked right now. How the fuck am I going to look after myself? Yeah. And that's when I start looking at medical degrees
1: you don't want to be a doctor (laughs)
0: no i definitely don't i'm really glad that i didn't make decisions about that kind of stuff at those points because it's happened a number of times now but yeah i mean that's kind of just an insight about how terrified i am about those kinds of things i'm terrified like i have a really really long narrative of not being capable which doesn't really completely make sense because i've personally always worked and I'm actually very secure.
1: You're also very employable.
0: That also helps. But I didn't really know that. I remember two years ago, I remember my boss being like, Oh, you're so employable. And I was like, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe it. And genuinely having the confidence to feel like I was employable was something that I had to learn. Yeah. Because I was like, I studied fine art and I did a bunch of random shit. And actually... Applying to do the Teach for Australia program, which I talked about, I got into at the end of 2015, and then I turned down. But the process of going through that and getting accepted, I learnt so much about how to apply for things and how to present yourself and write a resume. And you would think that I would have already learnt that stuff at 25, but I had not. And it was such empowering information because I was like, Oh, this is how that thing works. And I was like, you know, I could get a job. (laughs) Because at that time, I had been working the same job for like five years, and I really didn't think that I could get another job. Anyway, that's all terrifying. But yeah, I think the other thing is I find it difficult being public about money. Also, when like the Patreon exists and people are giving you money, and then It was interesting after the Patreon first happened and it was way, like, amazing. Like, I got all this support and I was super appreciative. And then I saw people commenting on, like, when I should quit my job. And it was really interesting because then I was like, oh, yeah, people have this insight into my life and personal stuff about me at least a small insight into it, that most other people, like, you do not have that insight into.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I was like,
0: oh, that's weird. That's going to be strange to deal
1: with. And also people have the insight without seeing the expenses. Kickstarter is a great example. People see, oh, Scuttle made 87,000 US dollars. Yeah. And you just don't know how much stuff costs.
0: Yeah. And at the moment, most of money for Patreon is going into building my capacity to create things. Right,
1: like most of the money goes to our fantastic editor, Lance.
0: Yeah, so that's where it goes so that then I can spend the time actually putting together my new podcast, Starving Artists, and preparing the launch and all that kind of stuff because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Or it would take a really fucking long time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that thing. I suppose you just gotta be like, yeah, you can't explain everything, and people will make judgments and they'll make assumptions, and that's that's fine. Yeah,
1: Amanda Palmer had a million dollar Kickstarter, and a lot of people start describing her as a millionaire, and she's like, D- that's not how, <laughs> that's not how any of it. Like, no, <laughs> you don't make one million dollars off Kickstarter and become a millionaire. <laughs> Like, I think she, she now is definitely a millionaire. At the time, she definitely was not. Yeah. But I think ultimately it's, it's what you said. It's that you have more bandwidth.
0: Yeah, you have more capacity. That's why I hate those mugs going around that say you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. You do not have the same <laughs> amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. Beyonce probably has, like, at least 100 people working for her. Beyonce has literally 100 times the amount of hours in the day as
1: you do. In in that sense. But also, literally, she has the same number of hours to think and do and be.
0: Yes, yes.
1: I've mentioned this... Like, a dozen times on the podcast now but when i got the money from scuttle i could have run off with like tens of thousands of dollars not run off but like i could have kept tens of thousands of dollars instead i put them into dracula's feast and i put them into the next project that we're doing lady and the tiger and like i'm I'm just investing that money forward because i want to make more games and ideally it'll end up with me like having something that's worth value (laughs) instead of just being like well i took all that money and i put it into stuff that didn't work yeah that that money gave me the bandwidth to do the next project the next project the next project
0: Which is how Amanda Palmer has always talked about her stuff. I mean, I don't know if that's how it works now, but in her book, Art of Asking, she says that her accountant was always pissed off with her because she'd take the money from one project and then immediately spend it on the next thing. Yeah. She wouldn't save anything.
1: Earlier on when you were talking about going to medical school, I was thinking, how long is medical school?
0: The study is five years, but it's like 10 years until you're... Yeah,
1: person so like i was thinking like the equivalent of medical school is sort of what you and i have done of like spending close to 10 years 10 in my case i think a little bit less in your case because you're just more talented than me just really investing the time and effort into creative stuff Like, we've talked in the past, when I was 20 or 21 or 19 or something like that, I made three TV shows off my own back. (laughs) That is the time and mental energy and money that would go to medical school. And now, ten years on, I'm not a doctor of creativity, but I feel like I'm definitely, like, far enough along that path that I can be like, yep, that was a a solid ten year of of creative school in just, like, making stuff constantly.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny how it's uncool... I mean, people don't really talk about money that much publicly. Right. And if they do and they brag about it, people usually think they're an asshole. Right. I just realized it feels like kind of uncool to say you have savings <laughs> and are an artist. Yeah. It's it's. I find it funny also because in a bunch of ways I'm sort of stuck, but not stuck, but i move in between a few different social groups. And one of them is people who are like, ah, I do creative stuff. Do I even like it? I'm not even sure oh, God, this thing that I'm pouring all my life into, I'll never be able to buy a house. And the other group is people who are buying houses now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that kind of stuff is really contextual. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. I have a a close friend who four years ago got into Teach for Australia. And so he moved to a town like two hours out of Melbourne. And I was so excited because he was like, oh, there's going to be nothing to do there. I'll come visit you in Melbourne all the time. And I just never saw him again. Like literally, I haven't seen him since that day. And I heard from him like two days ago. He was just like, hey, and we chatted. And I learned that in the four years since I last spoke to him, he's gotten married and bought two houses. And four years ago, he was not a person who had money. He, he didn't come from money. He didn't particularly have money. He was just a, a, a dude who was, you know, just a normal person without money in the way that no one in their early 20s has money. And now he owns two houses. And that was, that was just mind-blowing to me. I told you about this and you got very sad.
0: No, at first I was like, wow, fuck him. <laughs> Which is not <laughs> something that I would admit to publicly. That is not a response I have. And then you kept talking about it. And then I was like, okay, you need to stop talking to me about this.
1: <laughs> what, why, why did it upset you?
0: I think many of my friends are getting to the age where the decisions you made when you were bushy-eyed, the decisions and the effects of those are cumulative. Yeah. And so over a longer amount of time, the differences are quite significant. And it's between, you know, owning two houses and being like, fuck, I'm never going to be able to own a house. Does that make sense? And so that... It makes me feel sad
1: that triggers the f- fiscally conservative side of you being like i don't own any houses
0: yeah. and it just you know it makes me go into like big questions about what's the best thing to do particularly because i've been through a big process in the last week where i watched bo burnham's special that he brought out in 2016 called make happy And then I felt empty inside.
1: That's what good comedy will do to you.
0: Then I watched his special and then I read his Reddit AMA and then I read everything of his on Twitter and then I went back and watched all of his YouTube videos. Now I know a (laughs) lot about Bo Burnham.
1: He's a weird Case Pei Burnham. In case you don't know, he was a YouTube singer who like I used to love his YouTube stuff. It's just hilarious little like raps and they're really tight and clever. And he basically graduated high school and became a full-time comedian with like no gap. And he absolutely deserves it. Like his YouTube videos, if you look at him, it's like a 16 year old in his attic bedroom on a little electronic piano and they're great. Like they're so watchable and they're so funny and they're so tight and they're so solid. And he's turned from that into like a full-time comedian just based on sheer talent. And it's, it's really cool that he was able to do that. But it's not a, it's not a... St- standard story
0: (laughs) no 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 and okay this might be this is going to be a spoiler so if you haven't watched make happy and you want to watch it without knowing anything about spoilers for make happy ahead but at the end he has that you know but what is this show about guys (laughs) and he talks about how we're told that we all have something to say or at least he was he was born in 1990 in america and then you find out at some point that actually no one gives a shit what you say But then there are some people who a lot of people give a shit what they say, a lot of performers, and that then it means that because they won the game that everyone else mostly (laughs) lost, they must have the real answers, right? And he talks about how it's kind of stupid that people like Katy Perry – or Taylor Swift would go on stage and tell people to follow their dreams.
1: Because it's a selection bias thing.
0: Well, he says... These are the words that he says. He says, I was incredibly privileged, and I got lucky, and I'm unhappy. Yeah. And he talks about how, like, social media was created for a generation that demanded to perform, and that (laughs) it's fucking prison. (laughs) And they were all catching this loop of performing to each other all the time for no reason. (laughs) And he said, if I could give you any piece of advice, it would be that if you can live without an audience, you should do it. And I was like, whoa, oh my God. And it it fucking, it hurt. And I had just quit my job. And I was like, "Ah, oh my God, fuck, oh shit. And then I read a lot of stuff about him. His Reddit AMA is really good. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And he's got this bit where I screen kept it and I sent it to you. Someone asked him, like, what would your advice be for young performers? And he, you know, first off is like, look, I was incredibly lucky. And he was. He happened to be born at the right time and have access to the right things when YouTube was the kind of place where you could make a great, he's obviously talented, but very DIY song. I think I'm Boyo, which is one of his biggest ones, has like 24 million views. Yeah. And he made that when he was 17. and. You just, like, that's not a thing you can do on YouTube
1: anymore. The closest equivalent would be, like, yeah, Lil Dicky got really big with the ex-girlfriend song, whatever it's called. Yeah. And that has, like, that's really well produced.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can't do that sort of shit anymore, really. So, Bo Burnham, talking on Reddit, first off, he says, I was incredibly lucky. And then he was talking about how new models of distribution are really great on a bunch of hands on a bunch of hands they were really great <laughs> in a bunch of ways <laughs> like it means that you know you anyone can make a social fucking media account and then talk to anyone in the fucking world and whatever and you can distribute your music online and radi radi but he was saying that it encourages things that he thinks are kind of shit he calls them toxic impulses if i remember correctly which is like self-promotion and like branding and he's it's funny that this sounds like an Old school belief, but he was saying that you should first be trying to make something really fucking good. You will like this because this relates to the advice that you gave me a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> saying read that book. So good they kind of ignore read you book? by Cal Newport. No, I didn't. I just got obsessed with Bo Burnham. It turns out same. Gotta, thing. Read
1: it, gotta read it, man. Gotta read it. He's a really good example of of so good that you can't ignore him.
0: I I did buy it, so good. I will read it hopefully. And he was like, you should be trying, first of all, to get really good at something and make something worthwhile and then share it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He was like,
0: the promotion bit should be the last bit, which totally flies in the face of any marketing book nowadays, which is like, share the process, build the buzz, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. The thing is, like, do that on on the stuff that's good enough, but you're not going to get good enough for a while.
0: Yeah, But he was saying that getting success early on made him realize how volatile and fluky people's attention was. He had no control over whether people liked something or not. The only thing he had control over was the thing that he was making. And he was like, you know, making the best thing you can is the best promotion. Does that make sense? This yeah, is exactly, yeah. I know, this is exactly <laughs> what you told me. All right, I'm just, you know, it takes Bo Burnham. You got so
1: annoyed at me for telling you. And now you're like, Peter, here's some stuff that I've learned.
0: <laughs> okay, so I read all this stuff just after I'd quit my job. And I'm very
1: glad that you learned the lessons. I'm just a little bit frustrated that you didn't learn them when I was literally saying them to your face.
0: Look, some of us take some time to get there, <laughs> and some of us need a very... Attractive, talented, American man who is making funny jokes (laughs) for us to hear the message. Anyway, I listened to this and I was like, oh, wow, I don't feel like I've made anything good in a while. And that comes back to the thing we were talking about before about self-belief, right? I don't believe in myself because so much of the time I don't think that what I make is any good.
1: Starving Artist is really good. I think this podcast is really good.
0: I wax and wane. On these things. You know, like it's difficult <laughs> because I don't think I'm being like, yeah, that was great. You know, we don't always think that about the stuff that we do. Yeah. I was trying to nut it out. I think part of it is about crafting. And sometimes a bunch of the stuff that I do feels like flukes rather than something like kind of well crafted. That's
1: imposter syndrome. Is it? I think like to take the tears projects as an example, that's not a fluke no part of that is a fluke that's something you've deliberately worked on for 2 years now
0: sure sure no 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 that one i'm on board with i'm excited about getting to that one
1: okay what about starving artist what what about that can be a fluke
0: i mean i don't think i'm it's just it's just me talking to people
1: it's it's an idea that is really solid and it's very very easy to be like, yeah, okay, I came up with a great idea, and then I executed it very well. Like, I think we've had this conversation in reverse about me with Scuttle, where I was like, yeah, okay. Like, it's a really pretty game that I organized the art for, and it's fun, and it appeals really well, because it's well presented. But other than that, what is it? Like, if you dismiss all the aspects of it that are great, yeah, okay, it's easy to be like, nothing's great. Starving Artist is a really great idea that you've done about as well as you can do that idea. So like, flawless execution. There's nothing about that that is not good. And yet you're going to dismiss all of those things and be like, yeah, but other than that.
0: So, okay, I usually can tell when I'm writing something good. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. (laughs) I can usually tell if I make myself cry at some point while I'm writing it. (laughs) Okay, it's over. I said it. I feel like...
1: That's not a reliable barometer.
0: Oh, no.
1: There is no correlation between how you feel while making something, how much you like the thing and how much it will connect with people. There's just not, if you speak to very prolific people. Ask them what their favourite thing is, it will almost never be the one that's most popular. Yeah. Some of Stephen King's best novels are ones that he was just totally high while well wrote and has no memory of writing. Like, I can't remember who, there's some author who, like, put something together in half an hour in the middle of, like, six years of working on a book. The thing that he put together in half an hour has been the most popular and successful thing he's ever written. Is like, I don't get it. I do not know why people like that. I can tell you from my own erotica writing experience. My biggest hit is also my favourite, but aside from that, there's just no correlation between the ones that I really like... And the ones that really connect with other people.
0: Totally. I suppose the point then is though so that the pursuit is important, right? You can't change or predict people's reaction. But the process of trying to make something really good is fulfilling. Right. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Okay, two, two quick things before we wrap up. One is that I pretty frequently feel like I was born to the exact right moment of history because i mean i don't know what's in the future obviously but you know you know you're talking about like the prison of social media mm-hmm. i don't find that to be a prison at all like i find that really invigorating I love living publicly, and I love putting myself out there, and I love the performing to everyone kind of aspect. Like, I just genuinely love all that stuff. I don't get any of the negativity, and like the, the self promotion and the branding. Like, I have a blue beard, and I do a podcast where I talk about myself. I don't know I, I feel like I am. I am exactly attuned to this period of history. And and the other thing is, and this is Peter's ego coming into play. Who also should get its own segment on this podcast? Oh God! I am one hundred percent convinced that I am going to be famous. <sighs> And so all of that thing of like, oh, this generation, they all think they're going to be famous. I'm like, well, yes, because I am. (laughs) I'm not going to advise everyone, hey, yeah, follow your dream, but I'm absolutely going to follow my dream. And it's working pretty well for me so far.
0: What even is a dream, really? You know?
1: I thought you'd enjoy that because a big part of this show is just illustrating how different you and I are. I think that's an interesting difference between us in that none of that stuff stresses me out because I'm just like, I've I've leant right into the millennial thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're leaning hard in.
1: And then the second thing is that while we were talking about you quitting this job, you were like, oh, but I think it might be the best thing that I can possibly do.
0: Yeah, totally. I'm like, but this is the perfect situation. It's working with people (laughs) that I love. I'm going to get great experience.
1: I don't get any money for it.
0: (laughs) It's really hard because that sort of stuff, it's saying no to what is a good opportunity. Getting anything done is saying no to a lot of other stuff that also looks great. And that's really fucking hard to do.
1: It's also really hard to see that you're not doing it. Like, the advice is so clear, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sigh. That sigh perfectly (laughs) expresses the exasperation of creative careers sometimes. That's all for this week, and as I said at the top, if you want to come see Peter and I live and in the flesh and talking about creative careers as well as exponentially more weird stuff, check out the show notes where there's a link to get tickets. If you've listened and you want to hear more, there's now about 70 hours of us talking about creative careers as well as us reading back our very first love letters to each other (laughs) and fighting. it's been called the most awkward podcast of all time and there's a reason for that there's a listening guide on the being honest with my ex website which i'll link to in the show notes so last week in honor Eastly tries etsy i saw how quickly i could set up my etsy store and then well then i immediately went on holiday to new zealand to meet my boyfriend's family like so immediately like i pressed go on my store at the airport <laughs> but I did check in while I was over there to see what happened. So last week, I launched an Etsy store.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I, I looked at it.
0: And then I immediately went overseas. Sure. And haven't been on my email. Correct. And haven't had really access to Wi-Fi. Yeah, this is a small sliver of Wi-Fi that we are huddling together <laughs> underneath. <laughs> and I want to see if anyone bought anything.
1: Oh, okay, let's do it. Will you be disappointed if I didn't buy anything? You did send me the link.
0: <laughs> did you not buy anything? <laughs> Fuck me, I have a lot of emails. Alrighty, let's not look at that. Alright, I'm just going to search for Etsy. Oh! Look, someone bought something. <laughs> <laughs> what did they buy? What did they buy? Carlin bought something. They bought a feelings pack. Cool. Oh, look, they have a. They left a note. What'd they say? I love Starving artists. I also feel these pins deep in my soul. <laughs> oh, cool. That's great. I don't know what the rest of the bit is, like what I have to do next.
1: <laughs> You'll figure that bit out.
0: I'll figure that bit out. Cool. There's $13.19 Australian on the way to me. Well, that covers at least a portion <laughs> of our holiday. How much of our holiday? (laughs) How much did this place that we're staying in cost? Uh, I think it costs like 440 bucks total. Okay, divided by two because I'm not paying your way. Fair enough. I'll start my own Etsy store. (laughs) 100 divided by 16.67. 5.99% of this place. Wow. 6% of this place that we stayed
1: in. Wow. Or as I would say it,
0: 6%. (laughs) That's right, guys. I made my very first sale whilst on holiday in New Zealand. Just to let you know, I did actually work out what to do next thanks to the Etsy seller handbook, which is basically like the Etsy oracle and has the answer to any question you can imagine, including two articles on what exactly you should do after your first sale. Now, I've never been hugely good at monetizing my work. I've always been focused on making the thing like this podcast instead of making merch or any of the like. And I think that's partially because it's kind of hard to put yourself out there and say, hey, I made a thing and you should buy it because, well, it's hard to believe in the financial value of your work sometimes. So, it is genuinely really cool to see that people are buying things. Ah! And probably the best renovation to kind of keep going. So, tune in next week when I ask myself, as a podcaster and writer, what the hell should I like actually sell? Until then, you can set up your own store and get your first 20 listings free by heading to starvingartistpodcast.com forward slash Etsy, where you can read a little bit more about my very first sale. As always, the intro music for Starving Artist is by me, and Starving Artist is made possible by everyone who supports me on Patreon. You can pledge $1 or more to support me making things by heading to patreon.com forward slash Honor Eastley. Love and the nourishing and painful process of being friends with your ex.